This is Kanzen Shu, the podcast, episode 398 for the week of March 13th, 2016. What is up? Welcome to Kanzen Shu, the podcast and extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzen Shu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. It is actually not just me this week, I promise you that. My name is Mike Vegito EX. I'm just starting off the show, running through a few news tidbits. I am so excited this week that um, that's actually why there's no one else here right now. I want to get through this as fast as possible so we can get to the topic. The topic this week week. Can you hear the excitement in my voice? I've already recorded, edited the whole thing, and I'm ready for you all to listen to it. A review finally 20 years later. Can you believe this game has been out for 20 years, just about. Idainaru Dragon Ballu Densetsu, or as uh, most of the people in the English-speaking world know it, Dragon Ball Z Legends. Perhaps if you're in Europe, you know it as Dragon Ball Z The Legend. So excited this week, a new voice on the podcast, although he's technically been on once before in one of the uh, music extravaganza special episodes. This week, yeah, we are diving into Legends. Uh, a review, a piece of historical context, uh, retrospective, I suppose you could say. Such an important important game, I think, to Dragon Ball fandom and Dragon Ball fans themselves, that I'm glad we could take this opportunity and uh, inadvertently time it to roughly its 20th anniversary. So that's what's on tap this episode. Uh, that is your topic. I'm really excited for it. Uh, the comments I've been receiving from people publicly and privately on everyone else seems really excited about it. I want you to keep in mind, don't just look forward to us talking about the game, but I think you're going to learn new things that you had never heard before about this game. Unless you are Japanese and know the hidden things things to look into. I'm pretty 99% sure you have never heard this stuff before. So stay tuned for that during the topic. So uh, with all that setup out of the way, let's just do some quick news bits. I will start you off in France, then I'll take you over to Japan, and I think the rest of the news is all just Japan. So starting it off in France, Glenot has announced they are putting out, I'm so excited for you guys over in France, the Dragon Ball 590 quiz book. That's going to be coming out in June 2016. So just a couple months from now, there's no exact date for it, but they have announced it for June. This is a book that came out from Shueisha in Japan uh, just about a year prior in May 2015. The point of the book is it's a trivia book, it's multiple choice. And what you do is you add up your score as you're going through. And by the end of the book, your score is ranked according to certain characters. And of course, at the top are the types of characters you might expect. Golden Frieza, Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan Goku, that kind of stuff. And at the low end, you can expect who's down there as well. So it's a fun book. Lots of real good trivia. Um, and they don't hold back on the obscure stuff in there. Pitadin is in there just to kind of put this book in context. They know what they're talking about. So those of you in France are really excited for you to get this in June 2016. And of course, we're all speaking English, or at least if you're listening to the show, you understand English in some capacity. You're probably sitting back raging at this. Hey, it's it's certainly <laughs> available for licensing uh, if this shows us anything. Uh, Glenot over there, they are really, really kicking things into high gear in 2016, so good on them. Well, let's go over to Japan then. We got a little bit of Dragon Ball Super news, and then the rest is all Dragon Ball Heroes stuff. So in terms of Dragon Ball Super, great this week. We're, <laughs> we're on a break, so Heath can actually take a night off from doing credits translations. But in terms of Super news, the fourth ending theme for Dragon Ball Super has been announced. Just like 
like Good Morning America came back for the first ending theme with Hello, Hello, Hello. They previously contributed a closing theme to the Boo arc of Dragon Ball Kai in Japan. Cheko no Republic is returning. They contributed the song Oh Yeah. I believe that was the third closing theme to the Boo arc, which made it the fifth closing theme overall for Dragon Ball Kai. They will be back with a new song here for Dragon Ball Super. And this song is called, in English actually, Forever Dreaming. And that's going to kick off next month in April. A CD single for it is due out May 18th. There's going to be two versions, a Checo version and then a Dragon Ball Super version. Each of them are going to have four tracks. Uh, right now, all we know is the name of the one main track there. The Checo version is actually going to be a double disc pack, so uh, be curious to see what's on there. In other news, as we catch up from uh, having a week off from the podcast as well, Dragon Ball Heroes God Mission 7 came out just this past week in Japan on the 10th. The big thing there in combination with that update was the Avatar God Class Up, so all of your player avatars now have access to uh, God forms. There was a pretty neat CG trailer that launched back on uh, back in the first week of March in promotion of that, and then as that update came out, we got the slew of regular update videos from Bandai Namco. We got the commercial, we got the how to play video, we got the promotional video. Not much to say about them. Um, th- I mean, actually, there's a ton that you can say about them. Far more than I can get into here. I definitely recommend if you're into Dragon Ball Heroes, you want to know what's going on. There are a couple of key folks that are always on top of it in uh, our massive forum thread over on Kanzenshu. So check out the videos if you like what you see and you want to know what's going on. Well, go check out the forum thread. Last bit of news this week is just the Bandai Namco in other gaming news, other Dragon Ball Heroes gaming news. They've announced that a third content patch is going to be coming to Dragon Ball Heroes Ultimate Mission 2. That is the second Nintendo 3DS game. Now, this game came out in 2014, and you heard for a while how I kept thinking, you know, it's time for a sequel. Where is Ultimate Mission 3? And every time it felt like it was the right time for that to come out, they would put out a free update for the game and just add in a couple key interesting cards from the latest missions. Well, it's up to version 1.6 right now in Japan, and we have another one coming, uh, the third major content pack. The characters that they're specifically adding here are Trunks Zeno, so basically Time Patrol Trunks, Kronoa, you may know her as the Kaioshin of Time, uh, originally from Xenoverse, now here in Dragon Ball Heroes, and then Mira and Toa, originally from Dragon Ball Online, then into Dragon Ball Xenoverse, and now they've been around for the party in Dragon Ball Heroes as well. So there's no announced date just yet for this update patch, but uh, just like we keep up with the Extreme Butoden update patches in Japan, uh, we, I say we, it's mostly me, I will keep up with these update patches for you. Uh, just stay tuned to the homepage of Konzenshu and you will see what's going on and I'll take pictures of the new cards and you'll say, yep, that's a card. All right, because that's pretty much how it goes with Dragon Ball Heroes. I play for a day and I say, yep, that sure is Dragon Ball Heroes. I'm going to go play something else now. I hate to describe it like that as people are like, oh, there's so much fan service in the game. There's so many characters that look so good. Co-. It's really not that exciting. Like, I I hate to be from <laughs> this perspective of privilege where I have the game and I've played the game. Like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not that exciting. But I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, it's, it's not worth the price of a Japanese system, uh, plus that. So that's the news for the last two weeks. Uh, all things considered, it's been pretty light. Uh, I'm glad Super itself is off for a week. Like I said, that gives uh, the rest of the dudes on the site a, a chance to kick back a little bit and focus on other things. And let me assure you, Heath in particular has been working on things. And I've thrown uh, many things at Jake and even Julian uh, as well. Um, there's just so much going on with the site right now. So even though Dragon Ball Super is off for a week, that doesn't really mean that anything slows down. It's 
It's just like how <laughs> in Japan with animation, when there's a week off and instead of taking a week off and recouping um, from not working on Dragon Ball Super, they basically just double down and work on something else. We do the same thing at Konzenshu. When there's uh, no Super on that week, we double down and work on something else. All right, I've babbled long enough about the news and I'm so psyched for this topic. So here you go, 20-year retrospective. I'm sorry, I don't know. It's just so much fun to say. This is a topic that people have been asking for years and years and years. It's a topic that I have been wanting to do for years and years and years. And it's a topic that I keep forgetting to do for years and years and years. <laughs> it turns out this is a great time for this topic. We are 20 years out from the release of this video game, if you can believe it. Now, the title of this game has always been in great dispute. Um, the great Dragon Ball legend, the grand legend of Dragon Ball. There's all sorts of ways that you can get it into context. It kind of makes perfect sense in Japanese. It's been traditionally called just legends in uh, North American English culture. People from Europe may know it as the legend. Uh, here to talk about legends with me here on the podcast. I'm pretty excited. Very long time, long, long, long time friend and fan of Konzenshu and the previous sites before that. I know you as Randy. How else would you describe yourself? Because I feel like you're one of those people that goes through names yeah i do go through names i mean it doesn't help that i've been on the internet since i was like 12 so yeah well some of us stick with one name yeah for better or worse well i wish i could have uh have that ability but no well i'm uh i'm at saber underscore breaker on twitter i'm uh at uh haseo wolf on the forum i really wish i could get that changed huh, huh? can mm. it help me there uh, mike maybe uh, we'll see <laughs> yeah um but yeah um those are kind of the, the main names that i go by so that's me and why should people care about you um, <laughs> I get real direct and upfront with it. Right, yeah, hitting me with the hard questions. Um, well, I, I play video games a lot, and I'm a big fan of Dragon Ball. All right, done, sold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this game was my first Dragon Ball game, so kind of really excited to talk oh, about it. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. I'm trying to think, was it my first? No, I think Final Bout was my first. Ah, also a good one. Well, yeah. it's either this one or Final Bout. I got them both at the same time, so whatever one I popped in first. And we'll get to our uh, introduction to the game in a little bit. But great, I'm so glad to have you here. You've been, like I said, a longtime friend and fan oh. and listener. You know the show inside and out uh and i'm excited to have someone who knows this game as well as i do and it's been a part of their dragon ball life as long as it really has been for me uh before we get into this game i kind of want to set the stage because lots of people don't realize this game legends is actually kind of a sequel to a game that came before it in 1994 for the PC engine, which we in America knew as the TurboGrafx-16. Uh, it was a CD game on that system, so the expansion for the system. It was called, is will sound familiar, Idainaru Son Goku Densetsu. Ah. So this came out at the very end of 1994, and it went all the way up through the Cell arc. So 94, obviously, uh, the series was not over yet. It was still in progress. If you look at the game, the TurboGrafx-16, kind of a misnomer because it's technically an 8-bit system, but it's a very advanced 8-bit system. The game looks in many ways similar to what we know as Legends, but in many ways it looks very different. It is 2D pixels side by side, but you will notice a power balance meter in the middle of the screen and lots of melee attacks back and forth and super attacks on top of that. Um, so if you know anything about Legends, you're like, wait a second, that's exactly the game we're talking about. Yeah. So I think it's just kind of important to say and talk about that Legends, yes, while it was this novel thing, there was something that kind of set the stage for it to come uh, a little bit later. And uh, as I acknowledged earlier, 
earlier, The Legend, as it's known in Europe. This game did come out uh, in Europe, in Spain, and in France. Only the Saturn version came out. That came out that same year in 1996. But let's talk about what was going on around this time. After 1994 with Idainaru Son Goku Densetsu, uh, we go into 1995, 1996. The series is wrapping up in serialization. GT is coming on as well. What other Dragon Ball games were there? Um, if you stick with the PS1 and the Saturn, obviously Ultimate Battle 22 was there, but that was kind of just more of the same. It basically was the Super Butoden games uh, ported up to the PS1. So what else was going on? Well, we got Shin Butoden on the Saturn, which uh, was kind of more of the more of the same with Ultimate Battle 22 uh, expanded. And it got a new mode, though. The Mr. Satan mode in that game was kind of one of the most innovative things, I think, at the time where you're kind of betting on the matches and you're trying to interrupt the match from the sidelines. Super novel. We also had Hyperdimension on the Super Famicom. This, I think, was very much uh, an experimental game. Your life meter is your key meter. And if you think about the series, um, something I think too is Tenshin Han's Kikoho. Uh, that's an attack where your key is your life force and characters have died from using that attack. So to have a Dragon Ball fighting game kind of use that, the spiritual sense, super novel. Yeah, not something you usually see at all. And it certainly didn't stick around. I mean, I can't no, think of didn't. any other games that use that. <laughs> right. Which brings us now to Legends, which now we know, if you didn't know before, is kind of a uh, spiritual sequel to a previous game, but something that we had never seen before, and I would argue with the exception of Tenka Ichi Tag Team, Tag Versus on the PSP, we have never actually seen anything like this since then. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more later about what is a DBZ simulator and some of the other games that came later on, but um, Legends kind of stands alone as a product, as a type of game. So let's go back to this time period, 1990. Um, were you big into video game magazines during that time, Randy? Ooh, 1996. I think I probably had a subscription to um, it's like a PSM, PlayStation Magazine, but it wasn't the official one. It was just an okay. offshoot sort of thing. So I was yeah, into there that. are a whole bunch. Gotcha. Yeah. I was Mr. Video Game Magazine. I finally set up another <laughs> set of shelving down here in my recording room. Got all my EGMs, all my Game Pros, all my Game Fans, all my Ultra Game Players. Whoa. Dragon Ball games were getting interesting coverage. I don't know how else to phrase that. In American gaming magazines at that time, it was primarily Electronic Gaming Monthly, EGM. Um, as we know now, they're swiping a lot of Famitsu coverage, but still, they right. were covering import Dragon Ball games. Um, I still think back to that six-page blowout feature on Super Bruto. Gen 3. I mean, this it, it disappeared for the longest time. To think that there was a time before Funimation when this stuff was getting massive, relatively speaking anyway, coverage in these mainstream publications. And then it felt like it came out here and then people stopped caring about it in these publications. Then it came back. But there's a, this was kind of this golden period of, and I didn't even recognize it at the time because I wasn't quite into the series just yet. So EGM was doing stuff. I, I find it very curious that EGM didn't cover legends i've gone back a few times and unless i'm missing something i don't think they've covered it huh. but something i do want to point to is game fan magazine now game fan was kind of like a second tier down below egm and game pro those were the big ones game fan was another general gaming culture type of magazine but it was much more focused on kind of everything that we know and interact with on a daily basis import games anime manga uh figures music that kind of stuff it was kind of like the the otaku central of the time Time. It was great paper stock. It was uh, well known for those types of audiences. They were covering Dragon Ball games. And as far as I can tell, this is the most mainstream publication 
to do an actual review of Legends in English. For a game that didn't come out here. Exactly. That's the thing is um, I think there was a lot of hope at that time and expectations that it would be coming. Um, and especially because Dragon Ball did come to America, um, actually the previous year in 1995 with the original TV series. I think it felt to a lot of those people like we were just on the cusp of something. And sure enough, we were. Um, Funimation did Dragon Ball in 95, 13 episodes. We all know the story. Stopped after that in mm-hmm. 1996. Picked up um, with syndication of Z with the Zion arc there. But I, I really continue to look back to this review of Legends, like this uh, curious oddity that got published and we really shouldn't have ever had this kind of coverage of the game because it didn't affect anyone. But people were so interested in it and the people working at the magazine were so interested in it. They thought it was worth putting in the time and effort and into their editorial coverage and schedule to talk about this game. And because I think it's so historically significant from that perspective, uh, I'd actually like to share the interview with everyone right here on the show. So uh, here, I'm going to just go ahead and read aloud. the. Re- it's not that long. It's just a single page, one of screenshots right. on the page. But here we go. The ever popular Dragon Ball Z series has finally made it to 32-bit. Yeah, yeah, I know Ultimate Battle 22 was released a while ago, but it was so bad, I don't consider it to be part of the series. I know what you non-Dragon Ball fans are thinking. Just why is the Dragon Ball series so popular? Well, I can think of quite a few things, one involving muffins, but that's besides the point. One has to but watch a single, hyperkinetic, ultra-destructive, insane, 100-mile-an-hour battle from the series to be hooked for life. Unfortunately, no Dragon Ball game yet has recreated the fury of the average Dragon Ball battle. Until now. Furthermore, nearly all of the characters from the series have made it into the game. Hence the name Dragon Ball Z Legends. There are two game modes, Story and Versus. In the Story mode, you'll fight rivals like my best bud Vegeta, my evil enemy Freezer, Cell, and Majin Buu. The list goes on and on and on and on. In Versus mode, you only have four characters to choose from. But as you progress in Story mode, all of the defeated enemies will be playable, a la Guardian Heroes. During the battles, there is a power balance meter that determines who has the initiative to whip out an all-destroying special attack from my own Super Kamehameha to Gotenks Super Ghost Kamikaze attack. It's a real rush to watch the Dragon Ball Z characters annihilate each other into oblivion. At first, the play mechanics are a bit hard to get used to. However, if you're a hardcore DBZ fanatic such as I, being the main character now, your determination will become most useful at figuring them out. Once you get the hang of how to link the rush combos, everything else should be a piece of cake. As you can see, the graphics are phenomenomenomeno, with beautiful light sourcing and transparency effects on the PlayStation, and a higher resolution ground texture on the Saturn. The music gets a tad repetitive, but hey, the anime recycled the same tunes for about 8 years, so go figure. In closing, I must say that this game should not be missed by any DBZ fan, nor even the slight enthusiast. By Waka, Mike Wakamatsu, Game Fan Magazine, Volume 4, Issue 8, 1996. So transitioning off of that, let's talk about us and our approach to this game and our kind of initial knowledge of this game. For me, I think I was aware of it. Um, by 96, I was into the series, September of that year. I, I <laughs> kind of know the exact month that I got into Dragon Ball. It's <laughs> nice. kind of fun. So it ties back to that syndication broadcast. Um, so shortly after that, I mean, um, I got my PlayStation in 1997. I was one of those guys that finally got a PlayStation when FF7 came out. Oh, uh, gotcha. I think, 
a little bit before that. I got the demo disc with uh, Parappa and all that good stuff on it. So um, I was aware that Final Bout was coming out. That came out the following year. I think we finally got it in November, maybe of 97. Oh, yeah. So when you think about the PS1 being out, well, it was just the PlayStation. It wasn't the PS1 right. <laughs> at that yeah. point. There's no successors. The original PlayStation. Uh, and we us getting Final Bout, you kind of start diving into other online sites, Super Pope being the most famous of the old school Dragon Ball gaming websites. And you learn, oh, there's actually three games on the PlayStation. And a couple of these also came out on the Saturn as well. Uh, you learned about these games. This was also the heyday of uh, piracy on the mm-hmm. PS1. And I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't involved in this. <laughs> I was in high school at the time. I had the means. I had the friends. I was in uh, in between major metropolitan areas. It was super easy to acquire this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was already started having a website into 98. Like It was super easy to pretend you were someone and had connections and get stuff. <laughs> so um, not going to pretend that my first acquisitions of Ultimate Battle 20 and Legends were not bootleg CDRs. There you go. That being said, <laughs> what was uh, your uh, initial introduction to this game? So, um, speaking of piracy. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's just lay it all out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. On. PS1, crazy easy to mod. I mean, I was, I'm sorry to date you or anything, but I was uh, 10 in 1998 and I got a, a PlayStation 1 in my... Uh, Excuse me, I just threw up in my mouth uh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm sorry so. about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my my dad had gotten me the PlayStation 1 for, for Christmas and... Um, being wanting to save money, I mean, games are expensive. He had taken it to a guy that he knew to mod it for him and for <laughs> it's me. Always, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'd gotten that, and I, uh, I didn't really buy any games for it. I mean, I was 10. I didn't have a job. And uh, right. instead, we just go and rent them. And my dad had a CD burner, and he's like, oh, I'll get that game for you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, great. So I was already set for you know importing or, or piracy or anything like that, which... Uh, you know, you do what you do, apparently, when you're 10. But um, I don't know how I came across it. I'm not sure if I just Googled something uh, at the time, but I'd come across like, oh, there are Dragon Ball games. And I'd got into the show when it started on Toonami in 98. Um, and then I was like, okay, there's these games. Uh, eBay has some games up for sale. I'm like, cool. So I, I talked my dad into using my allowance to get a couple of games. I got Final Bout and Legends, and I got them. And unfortunately, they were just burned copies that I paid $10 a piece yep. for. And you never knew at that time yep. what you were going to get. Exactly. Well, they played, so I got right. to use them anyway. And I did eventually <laughs> go and buy those games. I have actual legitimate copies. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I own two copies of Legends on each system right now. I don't know how it is that I've managed to acquire multiple copies of the same <laughs> game, but at Kanzanshu, that's kind of how it goes. Mm, par for the course. So I... I still want to continue to put this time in context. Uh, for me, with the the series still being new in syndication over here at the time, um, and then discovering everything about the Japanese version, every single last thing for me was just this amazing discovery. It was really like nothing could be bad for me, even though we all kind of knew in our hearts that Final Bout was a terrible video game. Right. We still all felt that everything was awesome. So it was me. You know, Legends was awesome. Uh, all my fan subs were awesome. All these Sone May bootleg CDs. <laughs> that I were getting. All these image songs were awesome. Like everything impressed me to no end. But there was something about this game that really stood out from everything else that was going on. I mean, I was already a Street Fighter player, so I thought I knew what fighting games were. Mm-hmm. And to wrap your head around Legends was difficult, I think, 
at that time. Did you have the same experience? I, I did. And I mean, the games were a big uh, part of uh, exploring the series for me as well, because up until then, I'd only seen up until Goku arrives to fight uh, Raccoon. So exactly. every, everything else <laughs> is a total mystery for me. Playing Legends, I get all of these blonde people in the game, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't even know who they are. I mean, that guy's wearing Goku's clothes, but I don't know who he is. Um, and then, of course, being exposed to the Japanese version for the first time, which is what Legends was for me. Mm, um, okay. So, yeah. And then, of course, I'd played Street Fighter um, on the Super Nintendo and stuff. So this game was very different, but uh, I could still get into it because I'm still punching guys in the face. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the actual gameplay a little bit. Yeah. Um, like we were talking about earlier, it has a power balance meter. Legends is basically a tug of war um, done with punching each other in the <laughs> face. And I think the most difficult thing for me to wrap my head around was that up was go forward, no matter where you were on the screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't have the manual at all, even if I could have read it, because, you know, mm-hmm. I had the burn copy. But yeah, it took a little bit of to figure out exactly what I was doing, because I had yeah. no instruction. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, it was just experimenting, figuring out what stuff does. I mean, I was also thrown off by uh, Circle being accept and X being oh, I know, uh, right? canceled. <laughs> like, what is this? It's just weird. No, as I'm thinking about it, though, um, this was the era of tank controls in yeah, games, things like true. Resident Evil. So pressing up, um, I think many people were used to, maybe that ease the transition into legends for some of us a little bit i think if we were to go back to this now or a you know a younger fan now that had never played some of these older games i think it would bewilder them even more so than it did us right yeah i mean those these mechanics are very much uh mid 90s that it's uh it's kind of hard to just pick up and play now if you don't know what you're getting into it is but i feel like at the same time because i spent so much time with it 20 years ago oh, well, yeah for me like 18 17 years ago whenever it was right um it was, it was almost like riding a bicycle not entirely to that degree and you know it took me a couple matches to get into the flow of linking those chain combos again mm-hmm. but after you know two matches i'm doing the 18 hits and basically just slamming up and the attack <laughs> button <laughs> you'll yep. do those multi-hits oh yeah exactly um, same for me it did come back to me and the, i think the most difficult one was breaking out of the combos trying to remember how to do that but um so let's set the stage for how the game really plays so you come down you're on a, a 2d field in a 3d space uh you can kind of fly around your opponents more so on the saturn uh with those perspectives mm-hmm. but you're really just doing left and right up and down um you're flying in you're attacking and as you attack your opponent the power meter goes more in your favor and your goal is to get it all the way to your side at which point the fight is interrupted and you do a super move what else do you think are the key points of the gameplay uh, well, I think one of the big things that threw me off when I first played it is that each character has a life meter, but just punching them in the face isn't going to actually do damage to them. You need to fill mm, up that uh, right. the power balance bar to actually do damage to them, which I, was really weird to me because, um, you know, playing Street Fighter, every punch uh, takes off a chunk of their life. So that was that was very different and very weird. That's true. So everyone's punching each other and no life bars are changing. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's very different from any other fighting game I had played at the time or even now. And at the same time, we still have the traditional punch and key, maybe not traditional it's become traditional right. punch key block fly that kind of stuff um but it really is just get in get your combos off get away charge up your key meter so it sounds so much like a traditional cliche dragon ball game but what else do you think was setting apart the fighting of legends from uh, everything that came before and honestly everything that's come since well even though it was on a 2d field you could move like really far away from your enemy like if you just hold down you're just jetting away from them as far yeah. as you can you can just take pot shots but that's not going to do a lot to your power balance meter mm-hmm. um, but it was just kind of cool that you could kind of go everywhere and i'd never played the saturn version but you know doing some research on it 
was very cool that you could like fly all the way into cities in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not something I ever got to experience, but man, that would have <laughs> been cool just smacking somebody into a city. Nice. I mean, it looks pretty terrible. Oh, I <laughs> well, kind of would expect, yeah. <laughs> like those trees and those rocks, they're not so wonderful looking. No, but... they are not. They are not good looking at all. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the sense of um, scale of the space is something that we really haven't had since. You, you think to those the sparking games and the raging blast games, and I feel like I'm always up against the wall somehow no matter what stage i'm on somehow we always end up in a corner somewhere mm. and you just don't have that in legends because the the game is spinning you all over the place you're flying up and i feel like after i do those 12 hit combos and i knock them down to the ground it takes a really long time to fly back down to them yeah yeah it does even if you're just continuing the combo so you're just kind of teleporting straight to them it still takes a bit to get there this is something i i felt like i noticed more in the saturn version but uh charging your key or i maybe the other way around like losing your key went faster so i had to charge it more often so mm. i would find that after i did those huge combos and my key meter was depleted i would fly 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 well i guess i'll just charge up my key for a little bit mm. all right it's full fly 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 where are they? I can't <laughs> yeah. find my opponent. Right. Well, that's where at least it came in handy that you only had to press one button to get to where they were no matter which direction. So yeah. that, that reduced on confusion after figuring out the whole up button thing. And I did feel like um, after you play it for a while, you kind of get a feel for the inertia of your flight. Mm -hmm. And the screen does some really clever stuff. Like just as you're about to start approaching your opponent, the screen kind of zooms Ever so, like, it's just enough for you to know, like, I can let go. You can almost close your eyes at that point, let go and start your attack. And you just instinctively know, like, it's really become an extension of your mind and yeah. your hands at that point. It's very much I, a I feel think that's for a it. sense of flow and style. Yeah, that, just that feel that has never been replicated since. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a cool way of how it handles it. I mean, it also does the, the kind of camera spin thing when you're flying away from them to kind of indicate, okay, now you're this much further away from them. And that kind mm -hmm. of like pans behind you. So you can kind of see their sprites off in the distance. But uh, yeah, it's it's a different sort of thing. Let's talk about how the game looks. We were just kind of racking on the Saturn version a little bit. At the same time, the Saturn version looks better than the PlayStation version in right. terms of extra flourishes. But because it's such a dated looking game, like it's almost quaint, mm -hmm. you say it looks better, but... Does it really? <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, the The game is um, unlike Final Bout. It's sprite based, so all the characters are two D. Um, they're very pixelated. And I th we'll talk about this a little bit with some of the uh, special stuff I have for the mm -hmm. end of the show. But um, because it's zooming in, so you'll get closer, but it's not doing any dithering or anything on the characters. So it's just a, a mess of pixels. At the same time, I think when you have more and more characters on screen, the chaotic mess hides just how pixelated everything is. I kind of think it looks gorgeous. The most characters you have on screen yeah i mean i would agree to that but there's some matches where you just have to be one-on-one -on -one, at least according to how the story mode goes and i'm sure we'll talk about that but it, the graphics can be kind of uh, distracting especially during special attacks where it's supposed to be up close on them it's like do they even have a face i don't know what's happening here <laughs> exactly um let's talk about the story mode a little bit i don't know how much there is to say about the graphics i mean everyone's 2d they're pixels if it zooms in it looks pretty terrible but mm. it, it was 96 so right what can you say slack here yeah. The story mode, I feel, was um, 
one of the best that for the time, I mean, we had original stories, things like in Super Butoden 2, where it branches mm-hmm. off into its own thing. What I liked about Legends is even though it adhered to the original story, something that was up to you was to play it as close as possible to the original events. And that's how you get the 100% on the stages. And I think that actually works against it at the very beginning of the game because you bring people in. But the first thing that needs to happen is Nappa needs to kill Piccolo. And so you just sit there and wait for the computer to defeat you and that's boring as heck yeah which is even worse early on in that first stage because the ai is kind of being nice to you so you can kind of like figure stuff out and man it just takes its sweet time coming in and punching you in the face to get that power balance meter so it is just a slog sitting there and waiting for uh them to win like come on man i just want to play the game last night i was uh replaying the beginning of the game on the saturn version Mm. um and on the side i was playing ff14 i was saying like oh in between dungeon runs i'll i'll play legends but because that was what i needed to do while i was doing dungeon runs i was letting napa defeat me it's <laughs> like i guess i'll just make up for lost time here yeah i was sitting there playing i'm like i'll just browse twitter for a while while i let napa do his thing if you didn't know that though i mean you're just gonna play through the game and you'll kind of get uh, a feel for wait a minute i didn't get that high of a score what do i need to do here oh maybe if i play exactly like the events and that turns into real cool things later on where that's what gets you uh goku turning super saiyan that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but in terms of the story um again for the time remember this wasn't 10 years in a row of raditz taboo this was only a couple years in a row of raditz taboo and there are all types of different game games and game styles so to have it here did feel novel and fresh and especially for us where we didn't have the entire span of famicom and super famicom games it was totally new to us to play raditz taboo yeah i mean we weren't tired out but don't forget there is no raditz in this game it just jumps in straight napa to vegeta what happened to goku's brother come on guys and there's some notable omissions um and oh, yeah. i'm gonna keep teasing we have some really cool tidbits um at the end of our discussion here so uh, stay tuned for the entire topic here in the pod. not that you're gonna stop listening now i mean if you're this far in you're probably in it for the long haul but whatever i think one of the most important parts of the story mode not the quite animated i guess you call them motion graphics um the introductions to each story arc here with narration by joji yanami the narrator himself i think that does just an absolutely amazing job of setting up like no this really is Dragon Ball. You're not just playing with the characters. You are playing the series. I think that's a a big distinction. And um, a game hasn't totally replicated that sense for me. Yeah, no, I mean, that was a really cool idea to have him do that. And this is my first uh, experience with the Japanese version. And I remember um, just absolutely loving the narration for it. Like, I couldn't understand it. But man, it sounded sweeping and epic. I liked it. I mean, we also had like what basically were the colored manga panels that they would do like 15 years later. Yeah. Um, so it was mm-hmm. just really neat to see everything unfold and that. And then, of course, when I eventually watched the show in Japanese, it was like, oh, man, this is the same guy from the game, which, you know, everybody else was like, oh, it's the same guy from the show. But uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. yeah, when you don't know, it's uh, it's it's kind of cool. But it, it was neat because it tied everything together and made it feel like the show. So it kind of added more to that DBZ simulator feel. Yeah, yeah. We really have to talk about the talking about it now already. The sound of this game. Again, I, I keep saying this, but it's unlike anything that came before and unlike like anything that came after it. Um, the music in this game is by Kenji Yamamoto, and I do have a little something from Yamamoto to share later on. But um, from your perspective, what um, kind of defines the sound of Legends? Uh, it's hard to pin down what exactly the feel of it is, just because it was such a formative thing for me in Dragon Ball that it just kind of always feels like it's been there and part of the show. Um, even though it, it sounds clearly very different, it's not uh, 
Gucci at all. Um, it's kind of much more like, I don't want to know, it's mechanical is kind of the way to say it. Yeah, that's a great way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's neat. I mean, I really like it if I were to uh, have the option to have an alternate soundtrack to it. I know you've talked about this with, I think, Super Batodan too. But um, right. for me, like the Legends music would be a really cool thing to kind of like have as a as an alternative because um, there's some really great tunes in there. I really like music changes and stuff when certain events happen in the story mode. It just really gets you jazzed up and you're like, yes, this is going to be really cool now. And in retrospect, remember, in 1996 and into 1997 and into 1998 even falconer productions i mean he existed uh, was not a part of the show so a lo-fi guitar sound was not in the popular mindset like i don't really know how to phrase it i guess where i'm getting at is if i think about it some of Yamamoto's music in this game, if not all of it, sounds very much like some of the Falconer Productions replacement music. Yeah. And that's where I struggle, where it's, do I like one over the other? Am I at fault myself here for having nostalgia for this game? And what is it about it that I can justify for myself to convince myself so I can sleep at night <laughs> that the Legends music is okay and the Falconer Productions replacement music is not? And I think the key point there is one is replacement music and one is an original product right. for an original product. It was intended for it. And plus right. the guy has a connection to the series proper. I mean, he was doing composition and things for other songs and stuff in the show. Isn't it so different for Yamamoto? And up until the point where he started just blatantly stealing Finnish rock band yeah. music, uh, we had never heard anything like this from Yamamoto. I think mechanical is a great way to describe it. And I wouldn't describe the Falconer production score as mechanical. I would call it lifeless, but I wouldn't call it mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> Without going down that rabbit hole, I just somehow I just heard a whole bunch of stop buttons yep. being clicked right yep. there. <laughs> That's okay. See ya. Yep. Bye. I really like I don't know how far down I want to go with the comparisons there, but I think it's worth pointing out. And I think it would be totally classless to not point it out there and acknowledge the uh, slight tonal comparisons. Mm -hmm. But it's still kind of awesome in yeah, this game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't dance around it. I, I really like it. If you haven't noticed, the topic music for the podcast, literally since I started using bumper music, is Legends Fight Music. Yeah. Like, that's how important this game and this game's music has been to my fandom that I think its identity is important enough to associate with the show that I've been doing for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that uh, it got me to go, oh, man, this guy knows what he's doing. When I first started listening to the show, I'm like, oh, OK, I know what's up. This guy's using Legends of Music. I'm in. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so good choice coming from me. All right. Well, um, I do have some Yamamoto stuff later on, so we'll we'll get away from the uh, the sound of the game. Other than I just kind of want to note that the Saturn sound mix sounds a little bit better to me. Um, some of the audio samples of the characters speaking don't sound quite as muffled. Something about it just sounds a little bit clearer, more clear, I guess, on the Saturn. So Yeah, I would say that I don't really dig the, um, the sound effects for like punching and energy stuff in the Saturn version. I was just checking yeah. that out like today or yesterday. I'm like, man, mm. those sounds are really different. And I'm not sure if it's just they're not as well like uh, fitting into the game or it's just my nostalgia and my brain just being like, well, that's off. That not right. And I feel like they were they were dropping more often in the Saturn version mm. and maybe they weren't. Maybe it actually drops more often on the PlayStation version, but I feel like I know the PlayStation version better. So mm. yeah, it's tough to uh, tell there. The nostalgia is strong with this game. Mm. Um, so we've talked about the look of the game, the sound of the game, the control of the game. I, I kind of want to stick back with um, that DBZ simulator feel. Um, when you have 6K 
characters flying around on the screen here, I still feel like, and as I've been playing over the last week, I still feel like this is the closest to a mid to late era Dragon Ball, just all out brawl. And we never really got these kind of brawls in the series anyway. No. Like we might have a couple characters tag team someone. We never really had six characters all battling at once, did we? Like, I can't really think of that. The only thing, the closest... I can think of is Goku fighting all of the henchmen uh, in movie three, but it's, that's like a one on five fight. And we don't have them here in this game, so you can't really replicate it, right? Which yeah. Is sad, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's somehow, even though, like I just acknowledged, we never really had anything like this in the show, it still feels more like the show than any other game I can think of. And what specific elements do you think really bring that out? Or was it just the sum of the whole? Um, it might be kind of the sum of the whole, because like we said, we have the narration in there. Um, we have Yamamoto doing music for it and even though it's not everybody battling at once like you know that doesn't happen in the show it just kind of like has that frenetic energy that the show has just because everything's moving around so fast everyone's like getting out attacks and stuff and uh I don't know it's just it some something about it resonates with like what kind of Dragon Ball is in its spirit so from here I feel like we've talked about um our experience with the game and describing the game well enough I think the only place you can go from there is have the game described by the people who made the the game Mm -hmm. and we can do that this is something that I don't think many people in the English-speaking world know about, but both the PlayStation and the Saturn version of the games have text files right on the game disc. They're entirely in Japanese because it's a Japanese game made by Japanese people released in Japan, so they're in Japanese. It's basically a... You would call it a postmortem, but as you read from some of the comments, they were asked to write for this while the game was still in production. Yeah. So I love that they joke about that. Like, I was asked to write this, but we're still working on it, and I kind of need to get back to work. But um, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of quotes from just everyone you can think of from every angle of um, the game's production. And um, we will have full translations of both of these coming to the site at some point in the future. But for the purposes of this podcast, I wanted to get some of the key points, and I'm so glad that Jake Herms was able to uh, go through at least just the PlayStation 1 for me and pull out some of the the best quotes. And some of them, I'm, I'm not even going to read. I'm just going to summarize because you'll see when I get to them. Again, this is stuff that I don't think anyone in the English-speaking world knows enough about. And I'm pretty sure we're going to blow some minds with information that unless you are Japanese and know what to search for in Japanese, I haven't seen this stuff documented anywhere. So I can't quite call it exclusive because it's literally been on CDs for the last 20 years. <laughs> But um, here, you're going to hear it in English first. So a lot of the people here are, um, and I think what I'll do, um, Randy, is I'll, I'll read some of these. And I want to get your take, your perspective on uh, what they have to say. Okay. I'm going to jump straight to Kenji Yamamoto here. All right. Because it's very rare that we get words from Yamamoto himself. And now thinking right. back in retrospect, it's kind of awesome here. Um, so what Yamamoto talks about is um, composing music for the Saturn and the PlayStation. He says it was much easier than for the Super Famicom games. He had about three times as many sounds to work with, and it was much more like working his ordinary job, which is um, working on pop music CDs. Um, so with that in mind, he wanted to avoid the light and cheerful music as much as possible. And instead, just like you said, he went for electronic and mechanical sounding music. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's kind of interesting for that because of course like you using like what is it redbook audio for um these right. games uh he has a lot more stuff to work with and it's certainly very different 
Um, I'm not sure why exactly he'd want to avoid um, stuff that was like the light and cheerful, like from the show, other than just to be different. But, you know, hey, it, it, it worked, I suppose. Yeah, there's a couple of points there. The, why would he want to avoid it? I think it was probably just, I have so many more tools at my disposal. Let me challenge myself. Let me do something completely different. So it's kind of less an artistic reason, a more a personal challenge. True. And something you mentioned there that I wanted to hit was Redbook Audio. Yeah, you can toss the game disc into your CD player, track one is game data, but from there on out, it's actual music and narration from the game. This was a technique that they used for um, CD-ROM games of the era, and that allowed for crystal clear CD audio. The interesting thing here is that it was still pre-synthesized music, so it's not like orchestral stuff. So he's talking about using um, more sound samples that he can work with here, but it was still done there, and then burned to the disc as music, so it's not like he had actual pianos and stuff here. I was just going to say, yeah, if he wanted to really kind of change things up he would you know hopefully go for the big orchestral sounding stuff but he just stuck with the music tools that the playstation had built in but you know okay you know whatever man there's a bunch of comments here from people saying oh just i hope it lives up to everyone's expectations this was really hard to work on um where i want to go here is producer sugita uh he says he came in midway through and he started working on the chain hit special attacks you know you think about all the types of people that work on here yeah you'll have someone whose job it is basically to just work on the attacks um, of the characters in the game. Yeah. Uh, he says he ended up doing character control and everything in between. He worked on these special attacks and like we were talking about with how pixelated it gets, he says um, it was a, a tough balancing act of um, if you zoom up too close to the characters to become pixelated and look terrible, but then if you zoom out, the attack itself doesn't look very impressive. So what do you think about the game's special attack? I guess something I want to talk about is there are special attack differences between the PlayStation and the Saturn. Some of them are just effects, but um, not in particular. Just stick with them because he's so early on. PlayStation version, he does the two-finger um, Bakuhatsa just explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Saturn, he plants a seed and Saibai Man comes out and blows you up. Like, there are that many differences between the two versions. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. Like, I was looking at the differences because I'd never really experienced the Saturn version before. Um, but yeah, there's some other different ones. Like, I know that uh, in the Saturn version, Piccolo has the attack that he used on 17, where he just kind of uh, threw all of the uh, key balls and just kind mm, of yeah. threw them all in there. And uh, in the PlayStation one, he just has the one that he also used on, uh, was it 17 or, or Cell, where he's kind of like got his hands together like in a praying sort of motion, but we're firing a giant energy ball. So the, yeah, there's, right. there's different ones in there. The one thing that kind of bothered me while I was looking at them, like, man, the Saturn guys are so lucky. Goku's Genkidama is so much shorter than in the PlayStation version because they've got the like the camera going oh, like, two or three it? times. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is excruciating. I get it that it's cool, but man, chill out. Oh, I definitely noticed that as I was replaying the Saturn version last night. I'm like, oh, this is moving at a faster clip here. Yeah, exactly. Something else Sugita said is uh, it was referring back to the manga as he was working on the game, but he would get uh, caught up in it and just read through a whole volume instead of getting back to work on the game. <laughs> I feel like that's something I struggle with all the time as I'm working on the site here is I'll get absorbed into whatever I'm supposed to be researching instead of actually doing the work for it. Mm, I know I'll be like, I just want to pop in this one episode just for a thing and go through the whole disc. I'm like, well, there was my afternoon. Absolutely. Here's a, a good point from Programmer Kaiser here. It says the selling point of regular fighting games is 
player versus player. This is a wonderful analysis here. But this game's selling point was human versus computer. They worked hard to replicate each character's personality and actions within the game itself. I think that is dead on accurate there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had played versus matches um, with some friends uh, that were like, oh, cool, you have a Dragon Ball game. I want to give that a try. Um, But of course, we were, you know, all like 11 and terrible at all video games. Yeah, right. (laughs) We didn't know. I don't know. It's it's so strange. I feel like at that age, I was either a savant at video games or I was terrible at them. Yeah. And as I get older, I'm just terrible at everything. (laughs) I wish I could find somebody that I could play like now just because I'm like, oh, now I know how to know how to do these chain combos and like do these long drawn out ones. Um, So be interested to see what the human versus human sort of thing is. Um, But they do definitely have their own personalities, especially like in the special attacks. I remember um, losing my mind when I saw the episode where um, uh, Gohan is fighting Super Boo. And uh, he has the same mm. um, like beat rush or whatever it's called in some games. Um, like, oh man, that's from Legends! Like, I just kind of my mind exploded, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that is that is just exactly how Gohan fights. So I thought that was very cool. They did a good job on that, despite the um, very pixelated graphics and things. Legends really is a game that you kind of just want to play by yourself, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like you were saying, I'd love to try out my skills against someone else, but this was never really a game that I ever sought out playing with someone else. Yeah, like Final Bout was. Right. It's very much just a go through the story mode and, you know, do what you can and try to get the highest score you can instead of like, oh, challenge your friends and, you know, try your new moves. It's it's very much uh, human versus computer, like uh, like you said there. Um, this is, I think, where we're going to get to some of the uh, Konzenshu exclusives on Legends here. <laughs> this comes from graphic artist N. Uh, talks about how it inherited the um, the fighting engine from the previous game on the PC engine. And um, he said, working on the graphics for the game is tough because there were so many characters who had never been in the game before. Um, characters like Nappa and Gerd, he points out here. Here's where um, I think people are, their minds are going to be blown. Of course, you think, yeah, there's a lot of characters that aren't in the game, points out Ten Shin Han and saying it's almost a crime that Ten Shin Han wasn't included here. Mm-hmm. Um, there were plans to include all of Frieza and Cell and Boo's various forms, Saibai men, and yeah, we get th- we actually get their sprites there in the Saturn version with mm-hmm. them exploding. Um, they even wanted to include Pui Pui and Yakon. Um, so I think they had um, some very grand plans for this game, um, even all of Gotenks' forms. Wow. Here's where it gets crazy. They had hopes for including Gogeta, Majin Ozoto, and even a completely original character designed by Toriyama but the schedule just wouldn't allow it oh man that would have been super cool jeez oh imagine this because he was only in one other game uh, when exactly that, when did that come out was this shortly after that they wanted to include him or were they just like doing a throwback what was the deal there right so the character we're talking about ozoto comes from an arcade game made by sega dragon ball z vr vs so virtual virtual reality versus um this game came out in 1994 not exactly contemporary but still very much fresh especially while they were working on the game for it to come out um in early 1996 here so yeah basically he would have been very fresh for them to mm include in the game there. So not just Ozoto, they wanted to also include a completely new character by Toriyama. Huh. Man. Darn schedules getting in the way. Can you imagine how much more confusing this game would have been for us <laughs> oh, at that yeah. time? <laughs> Who is this guy? And when does he show up? Just buying tapes nonstop, just trying to find this dude. Right. I know. Like, it was hard enough to just know who all the regular characters were that were actually in the comic and the TV series. Then you get into movie characters, it gets a little more difficult. Mm. But Ozoto, I mean, we would have just been angry for years <laughs> trying to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. This, this game could have been so much better. 
even though it's already like I really enjoy it. But ah, the things that we missed out on. Graphicer A, I really like what he talks about here. Worked on sprites for um, chain hits and characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, He thinks the game turned out a little tough to understand, but you get (laughs) used to it. So I think even they were aware that they were making a uh, difficult game for people to uh, wrap their minds around here. Yeah. What he talks about is he worries that people these days these days being 1996. Mm. And this is hysterical to think about. They'll have trouble remembering the exact story details for old stuff, like when Vegeta first appeared, which, you know, you have to do, like we were talking about, you have to do things perfectly to get a high rank. That's, again, we have to put everything in context. Mm -hmm. The comic was available. There was no home release of the TV series, and there wouldn't be until the Dragon Boxes in the early 2000s. Yeah. So he's right. For people to remember the exact precise details you would need to have the manga there right by your side. Yeah, especially for some of the weirdly esoteric things you had to do, like bring in Piccolo, Krillin, and Gohan, and then immediately... Immediately take them out. Yeah, exactly. There are some things in there that just didn't make any sense. Um, right. Even going by the manga um, or the TV series, if you could remember stuff like that. But yeah, it would have been really tough back then to just know everything off of the bat. I, th- ah, I might be talking out of my butt a little bit here, but I feel like I remember when I started the game on Saturn again last night. You know, when you... And this is something we have to talk about. The game, and people will be totally angry if we don't talk about it. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I was about to get angry f- at myself for forgetting about this. Mm-hmm. When you are playing the game, you can press one of the buttons. It's like select on PlayStation oh, yep. and then like... Y or whatever on Saturn, um, the game will keep auto playing for you. And then you'll get this screen where characters will talk about what's happening during the fight. Um, so it's great. Well, you'll have God and Kaio talking about it oh, and then you go back in and come back out and Goku's not there. So he's talking about the fight. So I love that part, but that's also where you can say, you know, take this character out, put this character back in mm-hmm. and where I'm kind of wrapping this back around to is chain means they're fighting over means they come back out. I feel like the Saturn version made everyone over for me. so I had to specifically put them in and I feel like the PlayStation version automatically had those three on chain for them to come in. I might be totally wrong. No, you're, you're, you're totally right because I have a, I had a, a GameFAQs thing open while I was playing the last couple of days. I'm like, okay, I want to try and get a hundred percent run on this. And um, yeah, they do start out uh, with the right over and chain um, at the start. And uh, so you're right there, at least for the PlayStation version. I want to say, like, when you press select, um, that sometimes when you're supposed to switch out characters, like that mm-hmm. character is talking. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure what they're saying. It would probably be really helpful if I spoke uh, Japanese, <laughs> but I think that would probably have made it easier. But yeah, it's really hard to tell. Like, when am I supposed to take character this out? And when am I supposed to attack this guy with this person? It right. can be kind of hard to do. But yeah, it's uh, that that mode is really kind of cool. It gives the gives a feel of the show because you've got like cut to another person talking about what is exactly. Happening. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to wrap back around to the wrapping back around <laughs> with that is. Yeah, just everything about this just screamed like they knew the show so well that even the cutaways felt right and felt at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of love put into it for sure. So this is a quote from one of the producers that I'm not going to read. Jake didn't translate it. And there's a reason for that. And okay. that's graphic artist Mori Shinigami. So death god Takashi writes a monologue where he pretends to be a samurai hunting down game bugs. All right. That's the kind of stuff that's in this readme file on the game disc. I mean, hey, what else are you supposed to write in 1996 <laughs> working on a PlayStation 1 game that I'm sure had tons of bugs to fix? And I'm sure it still does. I feel like I run into problems all the time yep. in this game. We kind of wrap things up with some of the sound designers here. Uh, Yamada and Yagi notes that the game had 2.5 hours worth of lines of dialogue and it was hell to edit all that. And then the voice artists had to record over 1,500 lines. And I hate to use this word again, but isn't that quaint in comparison? 
comparison to the stuff we have these days. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a big difference. Like, oh man, you guys would be whining a whole lot more nowadays with everything that's going on. I mean, look how many characters we have in things like Xenoverse and how much stuff has to be recorded for that. I guess they have it down to science now. And True. Yeah, they've been going at it for a few years. They know how to, what's going on. And half the time they're coming in to record the exact same lines that they just did the previous 10 years. <laughs> right, so. yeah. Whatever. And I think this is going to be the best place to wrap up the um, the producer comments here. This is game designer Hisayasu Suzuki. What he most wanted to convey with the game is Dragon Ball's sense of speed. And I think they certainly accomplished that. Mm. Um, he compares the Dragon Ball manga's sense of speed to that of a well-made movie trailer. There's one exciting thing after another. And he pretty much calls the game a Dragon Ball simulator. And that really made me sit back and take pause because that's a phrase that we've independently used to describe this game. Um, Um, And I feel like that phrase came back into vogue with the Sparking series, Sparking Budokai Tenkaichi. Uh, When that came out, we kind of thought for a little bit that Legends was back in a way, and it didn't really end up being that. But I still refer to those games as a Dragon Ball simulator. Um, Yes, they have their in-depth fighting engines, and there's all sorts of cancels and guard breaks and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but they're so much not a traditional fighting game that I think this subclassification as Dragon Ball Simulator is just so perfect for it. And to hear them describe it the same way, you know, it kind of vindicates all the discussions we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like it's a, it's a happy coincidence. And I mean, it's even more so, especially when we were talking about way back on how you had to just let some characters die. Like you're just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Yeah, which, yeah. Come on, there are some episodes. <laughs> that is certainly simulating the show in a totally different way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. So that wraps up um, that section there. There's so much more and we will, we will, uh, no time frame, (laughs) we will translate in in their entirety um, so we can get that samurai bug squashing monologue at some point, uh, the PlayStation and the Saturn. They are different. So there are some slightly different comments on the two of them. They talk about some of the differences between the games. So Mm. that is something you can look forward to. Where I wanted to go now is turn it over to all you folks. Um, Just earlier today, even earlier this evening, this afternoon, put out the request for folks and their memories of this game from across the globe and we got so many so there's no way that I can read them all but I kind of want to do a similar thing I'm going to reach out a couple and Randy I'll take your reactions to uh, some of the things people had to say here Sure. I can't read everyone's name but I seem to bring back um, the equivalent of Vietnam flashbacks for people and the spring loader on their PlayStation doing the swap trick yeah I mean I can't remember doing it for this game specifically just because I had the mod chip straight in there Yeah. Um, so I I don't think I had to deal with that, but I know I had to do it with other games. And yeah, that could be a nightmare. But you know what? You do it for things that you love, damn it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, for you folks who don't know what we're talking about here, um, back before systems were region free and we're back at a point where mm-hmm. some systems are not region free, um, what you would do for early models of the PlayStation is you had a pro action replay or Game Shark, something like that. The PlayStation had a parallel port in the back. You would plug the cheat device into that. Um, you would open up your system and... And there's a little clippy kind of pointy kind of thing that pushes a button that is kind of like the eject mechanism for opening up the top loading tray. And what you would do is you would put just a a perfect little spring that would fit over the pointy part yet still hold down that eject mechanism. So the game system always thought it was closed. So you'd turn on the system, you would load up like the boot sectors for an American game, exit out of the Game Shark menu, swap the disc to your bootleg Dragon Ball game, because let's be honest, we didn't pay for it at the time. (laughs) Um, You would do start game and it would just load the Japanese version of the game. Um, That's what many of us went through. 
And because and this comes back to what we were talking about earlier with the Red Book Audio, because this game gives Red Book Audio and because the boot sectors of whatever American game didn't necessarily have like, I don't know the technical specifications of it. I tried with many games. Um, I often tried to use Mortal Kombat Trilogy because I had a shit ton of Red Book Audio on it. Like maybe this will help it load all the tracks. It never did. Uh. So this was something that was um, missing for a lot of people playing Legends on the PS1 back in the day. A lot of the music and some of the narration wouldn't be there. So playing this game on my first truly Japanese system was kind of like an ear opening experience. Wow. Yeah, that'd be such a different way to experience this game because the sound is such a big part of it. And I'm Man, I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do with that. Thank thank you, Dad and weird guy who knew how to mod PlayStations. <laughs> you saved a <laughs> Dragon Ball experience for me. Thank you. Uh, our buddy Ryan uh, went ahead and bought the Saturn version today because we were talking about it on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see that. Yeah, there you go. Um, I need to get a Saturn and then I'll get the Saturn version. There you go. Uh, DJ Tayoken says, I love the narrated cutscenes by Joji Yanami. Plus the game had everybody in it. Well, it didn't have a Zoto, DJ Tayoken. So no, <laughs> didn't have everybody. But but um, yeah, what else can we say? The Joji Yanami, it's so important to this game's presentation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's part of it, and it's what part of what makes it so much like the show is having that that sort of ever present uh, Joji Yanami that's there. Going over to Facebook, uh, comment here from Andrew. This was not only the first DBZ game I ever played all the way back in 2000, but it was also my introduction to the Japanese version. Like any young impressionable fan at the time, my first thought was, "Why does Goku sound like a woman?" <laughs> I thankfully settled into it though, and gradually came to prefer the Japanese version. And I have this game to thank for that. It's also just so much fun to play. Only wish I still had my copy around. I don't understand people who don't have every video game they grew up with right yeah i'm not a person to sell the games that i beat i'm like nope i'm gonna save that because i'm gonna play that in five to ten years exactly um, <laughs> but i had to pick up an actual copy of the game because i had the pirated one but yeah this guy andrew had the same you know experience i did this is my first experience with the japanese version um and it was very weird for me to get over and uh it sort of helped when uh, i would i got into my fan sub days i'm like all right cool well i'm used to this voice now i know what to expect so it was very much uh formative for me too so i'm kind of right there with him rocky says i remember seeing it in the back of egm and stuff a lot eventually my local funko land or gamestop or whatever game store imported the three ps1 dragon ball games and i picked them up with one of the mod boxes that plugged into the back of the ps1 i always called it legends by the way so a couple things here yeah like i was saying um egm didn't review it but i always loved the back of the game magazines where they had those ads for the import game shops and you would see that lineup of the super battle collection figures and all the dragon ball games and it was just Oh, it looks like heaven. Yeah, I think before when I said, I think I Googled it and I figured out there were games. I think I remembered there being like an order form in the back of a magazine that I had. That oh, was yeah. Like, Here's all these things. Check off this. I'm like, that's Dragon Ball thing. What the heck? And then I looked up uh, the thing on eBay. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll just get it here because who does mail-in orders via whatever? Even in 1998, it was weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it was weird that it was everywhere. And yet Dragon Ball wasn't a big thing yet. Something that he uh, points out here is I always called it Legends, by the way. Yeah, European people um, get on me when I call it that because they got it localized as the Legend. But this is a tough one to pin down because, yeah, the full title for the game is Idainaru Dorakamoru Densetsu. Um, so it seems like people picked up on the word that they most likely knew from other Dragon Ball stuff, Densetsu, Legend or Legends, mm-hmm. um, and just called it that. Now, um, in the game fan review that you heard earlier, it was called 
called in text Dragon Ball Z Legends. Um, <laughs> the Super Pope website back in the day just called it Dragon Ball Z Legends. Um, this was the name for the game as far as any of us young folks were concerned that didn't know Japanese yet. Um, I think it's going to be impossible to track down the original first person who called it Legends. Yeah. But I feel like the game magazine coverage at the time and um, in those popular fan sites, uh, just that's probably where it all came from. Yep, and it just stuck from there. It's so much easier to call it that. Like, yeah, I kind of don't want to, but it's just so much easier. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to type out a Dinaru Dragon Ball Densetsu, <laughs> right. but I mean, it makes you feel smart. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful. Antonio says the Saturn game is better than the PlayStation. It had trees. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's very true. I think more games need to say that for when they're trying to sell it. It has trees, Back guys. in the box. Our game has trees. <laughs> I remember you had to push all the buttons to get a full bar of color of your own. I never knew how I, how to do it, how I did. History mode, epic. So I think Antonio was just as confused as the rest of us and just latched on to, yes, it had trees. How yep. do I play Legends? <laughs> he got the important parts there, that it has trees. Exactly. And I think um, that's a good place to leave <laughs> those comments. Oh. So what do you feel the legacy of Legends is? We were talking a little bit about the Sparking series. I mentioned it earlier. I really think Tenkaichi Tag Team, Tag Versus on the PSP mm-hmm. with your two versus two, that's the closest I've ever felt to replaying Legends in a new game. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest legacy is, you know, for the longest time, people just begging for Dragon Ball games, you could have multiple fighters on at one time. And I Mm. think it might have, you know, stemmed from this, like they saw this, like, well, this game on the PlayStation 1 had six people at once. Yeah, what's so hard? Why can't you do it? Yeah, exactly. So I think when we had stuff like Tag Versus and then now Xenoverse with like three on three, it's kind of like, oh man, it's just like Legends back in the day. Or this is what we've wanted all the time is multiple people fighting at once because it's not in the show. It's just a game thing. So do you think Xenoverse is now the closest? That's so funny because I think less about Xenoverse from a fighting perspective, more just from the kind of like the menu and the story perspective. (laughs) But yeah, there's a shit ton of people on screen in Xenoverse too, isn't there? Yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, the other the other thing that uh, you know I always kind of thought of as this is kind of close to Legends was uh, Ultimate Blast or Ultimate Tenkaichi, just because um, it's very simple yeah. fighting style and you don't really do damage to them just by punching them in the face. You got to do special attacks. Mm, um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think Xenoverse is probably the closest thing we kind of have to that. It's kind of an improved um, system for that. You know, we heard from a lot of people that um, they haven't played the game before. They always remember seeing it and it always look cool from a. 2016 perspective 20 years after the game came out you know we're another three iterations of a playstation beyond this now yeah what would you tell someone that has never played legends before that wants to try it out what are some things to keep in mind about the game um i think it's kind of hard now just because the game um feels so much like the japanese version of the show that it'd be kind of hard to explain that to somebody that maybe has only followed the dub their entire life they're like oh no this is just like the show when they play it and it's the whole thing is kind of steeped in how the show feels in the original Japanese version. So it might be kind of hard to tell them about it, but it's like, oh man, it's a bunch of people punching each other in the face and it's kind of like a tug of war thing. It's really weird and it's got some some interesting music and you should give it a try. Like that's probably the best way I could kind of put it. Do you think that we'll still be talking about this game in another 20 years? I mean, we're talking about it now and it's been 20 years and we're, like I said, three iterations away from the PlayStation 1. It's kind of been... 
just part of the show's history. So it's just going to be a thing that kind of sticks around. I mean, people still bring it up all the time when a new game comes out. That's like, oh man, this part is just like Legends. For some reason, mm-hmm. it's very important to a lot of people who um, either experienced it or knew about it back in the 90s. I really feel that way. Just I, when I think back to what was defining my Dragon Ball fandom at the time and what were like, what were some of those cornerstone pieces? Mm-hmm. It was like first fan sub tapes, um, the never ending story, two disc set, and Legends. Like, yeah those were some of those things that really opened my eyes to what was out there for other Dragon Ball stuff. And yeah, I wasn't really critically thinking about a lot of that stuff at the time and everything was too awesome for its own good. But um, the fact that Legends has remained as important to me on so many different levels so many years later and I still think about it and I still have fun when I pop that game disc back in. And no, I'm not playing it very often. It's probably been oh my god, it's probably been 10 years since I really played the game. Like yeah, I've played some one-off fights here and there, but in terms of last time that I played through the entire story mode, 10 years, if not more than that, maybe I was in college the last time I did it. I don't know. But yeah, the fact that I can still pop this game in and be like, I don't feel like there's too much of the rose tinted glasses going on. Um, you know, you go back and play. I think this is especially true with Nintendo 64 games. Um, you go back and play them and be like, whoa, what is this mess here? Yeah. Legends, I, I pop in and no, it's exactly as I remember this game being um, in every way, like somehow it's presentation that solidified itself so accurately in my mind. Yeah, no, I I totally agree that it's very much uh, in that way. I mean, I've played the game a lot of times just like, you know, one-off fights. I know last year I sat down and I just like Twitch streamed me playing through the whole thing. So I'm like, I haven't played this in a while. Let's do this. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's something special. I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it, but it's special. Yeah, it's a great way to wrap it up. Uh, Legends is special. <laughs> Put a bow on it. There you go. Perfect. So, um, Randy, what would you tell people about yourself? Uh, they've been listening to you and me talk here for over an hour. What do you have going on out there? If they uh, enjoyed your perspective and want to listen to you, watch what you got going on, what do you have going on? Uh, well, I do have uh, one thing uh, on that I want people to know about. Uh, me and my fiance do um, a Let's Play series uh, on YouTube because, of course, everybody and their mother has to do that, um, where uh, he and I play video games. It's called uh, Two Gay Guys Play over on YouTube. Just go ahead and hit that up. We have different episodes out every week, or not every week, uh, every day, because it's a, it's a rigorous schedule. Right now we're playing like, uh, yeah, uh, well, it's not so bad. You just get a backlog and you just go for whatever. I um, guess, yeah. Yeah, so just play video games and, and being weird, talking about stuff while playing video games. You know, like the internet just has thousands of those already. <laughs> exactly. So what are some of the games you've been uh, doing recently? Oh, right now we're doing uh, The Order 1886, which uh, sure is a movie and not so much a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I picked that up when it was like that $9 sale. I'm like, I'll get to yep. it eventually. Yep. We got it for like 10 bucks like two weeks ago. Like, well, this is an appropriate price. Um, yep. I also played like Super Mario RPG. Um, I played Mega Man Legends before. Um, so we kind of run the whole game. There you game. go. Legends. Perfect. Yep. Exactly. Tied it all back in so two gay guys play um follow you on twitter saber breaker yep at saber underscore breaker that is where you can find me um and that's kind of my main place to go so that's that's me well i know you've been aching to be on the show for uh on a long time i'm yeah. so glad that i could get just like the perfect topic for you to join uh join into here yeah well thank you i'm very glad that i got to be here and thank you very much And 
there you go. Legends, one of the uh, the best games with the worst opening <laughs> in history. I know we didn't talk about the opening sequence during our conversation there, but yeah, the opening to Legends with the Shenlong slash Perunga thing, it's weird. And the still frames are weird. Like the laughing Gotengs, it's weird. But Legends itself, pretty good game. Uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed the topic. Hope you enjoyed having Randy around. Man, what do we have to look forward to? Uh, I think we're really just anticipating what the next round of the tournament in Dragon Ball Super is going to bring us. Episode 35 will be on March 20th, and that's actually a day after V-Jump comes out, so we'll probably know a couple days before that what the contents of the next manga chapter of Dragon Ball Super. Remember, that is published in V-Jump each month. V-Jump comes out on the 21st of each month if there's not a holiday or a Sunday, and this is the Equinox, celebrating spring over in Japan, so the issue got shifted back. Well, the day before 20th is a Sunday, so we can't come out there, so they're going to put it out the day before that on the 19th. So Toyotaro's next chapter of the manga will be out then, um, and we'll see if it exceeds the TV series at all, um, and we'll especially see if it comes back down to 19 pages, or if they stick with the about 31 pages that the last manga chapter was at. So lots of exciting content coming our way for Dragon Ball Super, and with that, man, let's just bring this episode to a close. Um, it's actually Sunday afternoon as I'm recording this, and I'm hoping I can stitch everything together, get the show out this afternoon, this evening, and uh, I hope you guys have a great week. So I have been Mike Vegito EX. Again, I keep saying I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's very Japanese. Oh, thank you. No, we hope you enjoyed everything so great. Oh, and you learned something new this week. You probably didn't know that Ozoto was originally planned to be in Legends. So there, you've taken away so many new things. Well, possibly just the one thing. Whatever. Again, I'm babbling. It's all it's just me down in the recording room. I don't know how to do this when I don't have someone to bounce ideas and terrible jokes and random asides off of. So that has been episode 398 of our podcast, www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshuu.com. There is a lot of exciting stuff coming, both uh, on and off the website. And, uh, I hope we can announce some of these things pretty soon. But in the meantime, we get all your news, we get all your content, we get all your commentary, um, we get all your fun, all your Dragon Ball fun, kanzenshuu.com. See you next time.